but it's with our consent and it's a, our ability to play around with these things in a space that allows us to do this that is kind of like a healing process because if i'm being honest i don't think any of us know what our conception of ourselves as asians would look like in a vacuum outside of the white gaze we have no idea because that's all i know and i don't think that's a bad thing either and i'm not actually looking for my true self outside of an objectifying gaze that's not the point i just need a space to be able to play around with that in a healthy way and make content for my community and if other people also enjoy it that's great Hey there, this is Pussy Empowered Podcast, and I'm your host, Alyssa Aparicio. I'm equal parts Bronx bitch and mountain witch. I believe that when you untame your pussy, you access your power. As a pussy empowerment coach, I teach women how to do this with a holistic approach that incorporates mind, body, emotion, and spirit. As a sacred erotic creatrix, I surrender to new heights of embodied, expressed art, and performance myself. On this podcast, I share about my approach to pussy power and interview fellow paradigm-shifting badasses about theirs. What you're about to hear is part of a seven-conversation series on demystifying stripping and decolonizing sexual empowerment. Today's guest is Samantha Sun, performer, stripper, host of Stripper Life Drawing ELSC, and holder of so much knowledge on the intricacies of internet law and beyond. In this chat, we address the importance of proper education around consent, the intersection and conversation around sex work, sex traffic, and immigration, interacting with cultural stereotypes in performance, and centering policy change. Damn, there's a lot of goodness in this episode. Let's get to it. Hi, it's so nice to meet you face-to-face. Hi! Thank you so much. Funny that we would just cross paths because um i didn't watch the netflix documentary you were in but i am aware of your involvement and how you feel about mm. it and um lots of people lots of different people had tons of feelings and thoughts <laughs> about how that went so it's yeah. nice to be able to meet you i mean oh that's yeah yeah thank you for sharing that i am like glad that you didn't watch it and you spared yourself <laughs> to be honest it's oh, should i watch it for um potentially maybe just to so i can say that i've seen it um you know if you feel called to it as part mm. of your research but oh, yeah, i would research. definitely put like a, a trigger warning on it it's not gonna okay. be a, it's not gonna be a pleasurable experience mm. um yeah so given nice. that i know like where you stand and and everything that you stand for but i just want to like give a second to just take a moment to introduce you to anyone joining in who doesn't know you this is Samantha Sun, who is an incredible performer, performance artist, um, stripper, and also the host of Stripper Life Drawing, right? And um, is that all correct? Is there anything else that you want to add there? No, that was perfect. I was just going to say I haven't performed or stripped in a long time because of COVID. So I maybe just like identify more as a grifter on my parents currently. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. I feel um, you. But yeah. it is part of who you are. And we're all kind of on that same hiatus. So I feel you. I'm with you. Um, do, do you want to share a little bit about where you're from and um, just like where in the world you're you're located and that kind of thing? So I was
born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Um, and I spent most of my formative years in London, UK. So I went to university there. I worked for two years there, like six years of my like 20s and early, like late teens there. Um, so yeah, I've had like an interesting kind of, I suppose a cultural upbringing where my parents immigrated from Hong Kong in the 80s to Toronto and they were both teenagers at the time. So um, they're pretty, not whitewashed, I would say, but like very westernized. Um, they speak English fine. And as a result, I mostly only speak English. Mm. Um, and they kind of have like a really interesting relationship with their colonial past. So they're like, they love the royal family, for example, which is kind of like strange, but like it makes sense because Hong Kong was an ex-colony. Um, and just because of our status, I think London was like a strange like calling because it feels very familiar to all of us in terms of like infrastructure, the education system, very familiar because of colonialization, basically. <laughs> Pros Got and cons. It. Um, got it. Yeah, I got most of my dancing chops and performing chops in London. I would occasionally bring them back to Toronto where I would work for summers whenever I was on like vacation from university. Um, and yeah, now I'm back here just hiding away from COVID, even though we're not doing a great job at mitigating it. And I will go mm. back to London for my master's in uh, August, September. And that's it. Hopefully, Hopefully I don't get COVID and die before then, but that's the... <laughs> yeah, so we are all keeping all of our limbs and fingers crossed for that. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. And out of curiosity, what are you studying for your master's? I know that like the, the, the way that I was introduced to your work or to you was through a panel on internet law that mm. you were just like overflowing with knowledge and wisdom about um, internet oppression and everything that that conversation covered. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But is that kind of the direction you are going in or? So more the direction I was going in is I'm, I'm going to London School of Economics for a master's in social innovation and entrepreneurship. So basically kind of like an ethical MBA because for actually for one of the top business schools in I say the world, they actually don't offer an MBA program, which is really interesting to me. Mm. Um, this is sort of like the closest thing. And so the focus is how do you run an enterprise, not necessarily a charity, but any sort of small or big business through the lens of enacting social change. Um, mm. And one of the things you can do is a elective in cyber law. So I'm thinking it's really interesting. You can just like sort of like Amongst all the like mandatory modules you have to do, there's an opportunity to really sort of tailor your experience to what you envision yourself doing in the future. Mm. Um, and obviously everything I want to do is with the um, foundation of trying to continue advocating in sex work and then also like creating income streams and like a business model that operates like above the surface of legality. So instead of just creating another strip club, for example, which would force me to have to work with certain um, policy or licensing that would just make it impossible to do it ethically, it's about, okay, how do you repackage our erotic capital and our labor mm. and present it in a way that is outside the legal framework without being kind of like illegal and 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 give it to i suppose civilians and also give our community the opportunity to continue doing their work without 
having to be exploited. <laughs> That's the long answer. That's the long answer. And, and I think cyber law will have to play a big part in that because we're just all on the internet. Me and you are doing this right now over Instagram. Yeah. Like, I, totally. there's no avoiding it. And so I would like that to be part of my program. That is so damn cool. Thank so you. excited that we get to have this conversation with someone who knows her shit to such the, an extent like you know I mean I just had my uh what I got a message that some a post that I shared was taken down for sexual solicitation yesterday so yeah I'm yeah. Just, like constantly enraged by this and I'm sure you have similar experiences all the time um this inequality of expression um that takes place on the internet and everywhere else <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't actually think people who don't do this line of work really fully comprehend what it means to be this heavily censored. I was on a podcast the other day about um, like diversity in tech. They're called Technically Diverse, which is lovely. And they wanted to tag my episode with hashtags. Like obviously we're talking about sex. So they would like to hashtag things like sex or like the body. They couldn't use any of it. And mm. I was like, now you understand what it's like to be us on a daily basis totally and try mm -hmm. to operate on the internet but have to use coded language and be shadow banned it's a lot right. it's, a, it's lot. a lot to navigate it's a lot to navigate um but i was re-listening to the panel on um that on internet oppression that that you spoke on like i was listening to parts of it again this morning just to like kind of prepare here and something that you addressed in depth is how the intersection like the intersections of how criminalizing sex work also speaks to criminalizing um immigration and and mm. then there's like the whole chunky conversation of consent that kind of is so tangled and um like so tangled into one that you can't really have a conversation with one about without addressing these other things and it's like such a huge question but I guess um I guess the question in that is just like what what do you, what is that Venn diagram like what is the the root of that thing Venn diagram like what how is criminalizing sex work um not getting to the root of the problem um does that make sense <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah hold on before I do that my cousin is on here and she is, she's a bit young for this. I'm going to go ahead and say, hello, Cheryl. Hello, darling. I love you very much, but I'm talking about a bit of adult stuff and it's a little bit boring. So maybe you should leave and you can talk to me afterwards privately. <laughs> okay. Mm. And then with, with that disclaimer, <laughs> I'm mm. not, not anybody's parent. I'm not here to parent people's internet usage. Okay. So let me get back to this. So this Venn diagram with a lot of overlap is consenting adults who want to do whatever they want on the internet and then victims of sexual assault right the problem mm -hmm. is people think that's a venn diagram with zero overlap they treat us as if we're like treat basically sex workers as if there's no way we could possibly be victims of like uh, revenge porn or sexual assault on the internet or harassment and then treating victims as if they have no, uh, no ability to decide for themselves whether or not they would like to continue to have a sexual presence on the internet. And it's like, actually, no, those, that's a Venn diagram with so much overlap that it may as well be the same circle. Mm -hmm. But what it forces sex workers to do is constantly the, the, like, the onus is on us to prove 
whether or not we are deserving of respect and we are scapegoated for the victimhood of people who actually do deal with sexual harassment and from the eyes of the law it's like impossible for them to see us as the same which is really strange because actually we all are um and then in terms of immigration and how that kind of goes into cyber law um lots of people who are undocumented migrants or they are documented migrants they just maybe do not have a great grasp on the english language for a lot of them sometimes not all the time sometimes sex work pays their bills better than other avenues of income for a lot of reasons right and one of those reasons could be for example in the u.s there's a green card i'm not sure what it's called but there is a visa you can get on but that visa hinges on your job which means you cannot change employers if you want to stay in the country hmm what is the effect of this that means employers have zero like they have zero need to treat their employees with any level of respect pay them on time pay them at all because they know that they hold the like keys to that person's ability to stay in that country mm-hmm. and so what happens in that in that situation where you're like okay I'm an adult, I'm a migrant. I have this green card. I cannot leave my employer or I will be deported, but I also can't pay my bills. A lot of these people, if, especially if they're women or if they're queer, will go into sex work. And then what happens is policymakers then misconstrue this as trafficking when it's more like mm, that person was trafficked already and they go into sex work for survival. They're not necessarily like sex trafficked in that way. And then to go like that one step even deeper in their sort of logical fallacy is that maybe if we censor the internet, trafficking will disappear. And it's like, no, these people are still working on farms and in like bars and restaurants where they're being like super, super, super exploited and not paid on time and working in horrible conditions. You censoring the internet has not helped them at all. Nice. So this is a really weird circle that goes in, and I think it requires people to be able to think kind of critically and around the issue instead of thinking, how can I band-aid this problem until I no longer have to see it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, I'm not like entirely that optimistic that things are getting better. I can only hope that people are more aware. That's kind of all I can do right now. We can try to get people to lobby for different um, policy changes. Um, But I see in the UK and Canada and in the US more and more, it's like, it's very hard to repeal law. It's very, once you get it in and more and more, it's just being instituted and it's like, ah, a little bit pessimistic but i mean cross our fingers hopefully things get better mm. and yeah i see you speaking about this so much on so many different platforms and doing your part to to spread that awareness and really decode some of this this chunky like very inaccessible um policy and um you know to the average person it's like i don't understand i mean yes it looks good like it's about decriminalizing sex work or sex trafficking rather uh, or it's about um like taking sex trafficking out of the picture right but it's Mm. not 
Like it's so, um, and especially the thing that shocked me the most in, in your discussion or in that group discussion was about like the lack of distinction between consent when it comes to the FOSTA, SESTA and like the internet law around like what is um, allowed and what's not allowed and like consent. Can you like explain a little bit about how consent is like not is pretty much ignored in that conversation? They literally wrote it out of the law. Like the lady, one of the ladies who was involved in writing it, like her exact words are consent is always irrelevant <laughs> when determining if the crime of sex trafficking has occurred. And it's like, that is mind blowing to me because consent is the only relevant thing when trying to determine whether or not the crime of sex trafficking has occurred. And so like more broadly speaking, right? Like when we're talking about what, cyber law and more strict cyber law is trying to achieve um and what maybe like on the other side tech and current algorithms and innovation in that is trying to achieve both of those things are failing miserably at a protecting children for example my cousin was just on here she's underage she should not be able to access access this conversation that's a instagram problem that's not an us as third users problem, right? Um, what they are failing at is, again, protecting kids and dealing with the issue of trafficking. And what both sides agree on, like the experts who sort of work in law enforcement with this issue or who are working within tech, what they kind of both agree on is that tech and policymaking and government both don't have an answer to the wider issue of like where child abuse and trafficking and sex work all sort of occur, the only way you can prevent the abuse from happening is by having a very, very, very robust sexual education mandate that involves consent. You have to teach mm. people and children from the youngest age humanly possible about their own bodies, about good touch, bad touch, and about consent. And you have to foster an environment that allows them to have bodily autonomy, which means us as adults, we have to stop demanding things like hugs or kisses if the, those kids don't want it. You have to teach mm. them like what is okay because this sort of like cycle of abuse that goes down the line of oftentimes is, for example, siblings or friends enacting what they've seen on each other and if none of those people are told at any point in time what is okay or not they keep mm. perpetuating the same thing but if somewhere down the line somebody has been given an extremely robust and sort of well-rounded education on consent and on their bodies they can recognize when things are not okay because they've been told and they can go oh hmm not good, I should probably tell an adult about this. Mm. And that's where you can sort of stop it clean. And prevention mm. is always better than trying to like treat it as a crime and play whack-a-mole with law enforcement. Um, and so that's kind of where consent plays in. It's something that unfortunately a lot of us have to be taught mm. because we're gaslighted like consistently about how we feel about our own bodies and what is okay and what isn't. And so having like language there that you can teach someone of what is okay and what isn't and whether or not it's okay for them to have those boundaries in the first place is really important i didn't learn about my boundaries until i started stripping i have no idea about you but like 
starting when I was like 19 years old, I didn't have boundaries at 19 years old. I didn't know what my boundaries were. I had to learn them by force. It's weird Mm. to me that I learned my boundaries in the strip club and not at school or not at home. That is weird to me. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. be that way. So yeah. Sorry, that was the long answer. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for the long answer. I'm uh, hanging on each word that you're sharing. And um, yeah, it's, it's a shame, like our sexual, I mean, not even just consent isn't necessarily a sexual conversation, but our sexuality as well, our education is just like so lacking. And it has so much to do with the colonial, like Puritan mm-hmm. structure that we have been like that we have inherited and how that approach to sexuality is just like um, essentially, you know, it's just so far away from it's just so mired in shame and um, confusion and power dynamics and mystery like and then none of that is helpful for a healthy sexual experience or you know like a healthy relationship to agency with your body yeah 100 percent. i mean i think i only ever have to be honest like any sort of any conversation I have around this to me that is even remotely interesting or innovative I only ever have with sex workers there's something Mm -hmm. to be said about us as professionals in this realm that allows us to have like a much more like nuanced and critical view on this whereas like anytime I talk to a civilian I have to go all the way back to the beginning and like hold their hand through the discussion and nothing makes me want to chop my head off more than that <laughs> sorry uh, to the yeah. civilians listening yeah, yeah I don't I'm like sure. you <laughs> i'm sure that at this point too you've had this same conversation so many times that it's like um you know frustrating as well to, ha- to keep having that conversation um but i want to like bring this to your art and like how this shows up this work that you're doing shows up in your performance art and like how, um, you know, how your art is such a, like, I mean, it's obvious your art is such a powerful commentary on exactly, you know, the topic of this conversation is like empowerment, um, like decolonizing sexual empowerment, claiming agency and ownership over your narrative. So I would love to um, hear from your perspective about that process of um, expressing and performing uh what you what you what you and what you also intellectualize but like how did that translate for you so I'm actually reading I've got on my notes on my laptop I'm reading the notes you sent me just now and I have been thinking a lot lately about sort of what makes it different from my like what is different about my conception of myself and my aesthetic when I perform especially in a fetishizing way versus the really harmful images that we see regularly in movies, in media, in commercials, in everything, right? And I think actually the answer actually might be consent. Um, I, in the middle of a performance or in a photo shoot that I have some kind of creative control and agency over, I am giving you as the audience the consent to look at me in a certain way. Because I'm allowing you to do that and I'm allowing myself to do that in that space. When 
how that's different from maybe people yelling ni hao to me or konnichiwa to me on the street is I haven't really consented to that. Like this is, it's not like a space where I've said sort of yes to that. Um, and so I think how my work sort of like works around this, right, is trying to like touch upon this like space where I'm giving people and myself like an opportunity to see myself how I want to be seen. And in that situation, it's often in a very Asian-esque sort of aesthetic, oftentimes as a stripper or as like a pole dancer, which is just stripper aesthetic, or in a circusy way, in a burlesque way, which is obviously very sexual anyway, or sometimes in a fetish club, which is like, that is as, that's as like far as you can go with that kind of thing. But the difference is I've, I have, I've consented to that. I've, I am letting you do that. I have control over the performance, the music, the everything. I have made that in a way where I'm like, I would like to be seen like this. It's mm. different. It's really different from when people project onto me what they want to see. And that's different. That's like projecting mm. onto me while I'm wearing sweatpants and a bun going to the grocery store is so different from when I'm allowing you to use me as a mirror for that. Mm. so it's kind of yeah I mean it's a bit complex and I think most good art is complex and trying to work through things instead of providing an answer mm. um, and so it's like an ongoing thing again I haven't performed in a long time so I can't sort of tell you what that might look like three years down the road but my hope is that as attitudes towards these sort of cultural like you know, move on and and develop and evolve, that sort of my work also will as well. I don't know what that looks like just yet. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it, it really does. Thank you okay. for, for taking us on that and that process. And it's really illuminating for me as well because um, like I shared in my notes, it's like um, your last post really resonated about the – um, intentionality of performance as the, as the sexy Asian and it's like something mm. that I interact with a lot as um, embodying the sexy Latina stereotype and it and, and like playing with it right and like yeah. intentionally and um, sometimes when I come to like theory around it when I'm reading theory around it it's so um, it really just takes the agency out of it and makes it very like top down that this is what you're doing when you're engaging with this and I I, I hate to I mean I just like things are living and breathing these ideas are alive and we are interacting with them in a real life way so it's unfair to um, to just like to diminish, diminish that and I see that happen a lot so I just wanted to bring that in yeah, my aunt actually me had an interesting conversation, and it's to me it's interesting because she's a bit older than me. Well, obviously, she's an aunt, so she's like in her mid thirties, whereas I'm in my mid twenties. And her view on this was interesting because I watched her, I watched her go through the mental stages of how to process this. And at first, she was very much from like a, um, you shouldn't do it at all because you will always be gazed on by an objectifying gaze. And you don't have any control over that. And then slowly, slowly, I sort of managed to convince her. I was like, listen, if I don't do it, the alternative is that you get 
white dancers putting buns and chopsticks in their hair and cosplaying an Asian person and perpetuating the actual dangerous stereotype without putting any money in the pockets of actual Asian women, which is like the worst of two evils. I'm trying really hard Mm. to be the lesser of two evils. And then she finally got to a point where I was like, thank you. Like I, I was like happy that she got there, which was that at the end of the day, pinning how I am meant to be seen on me is another form of victim blaming. I am not Mm. responsible for people's weird preconceptions of what sexy Asians or sexy Latinas are supposed to look like. It's another strange form of victim blaming. Mm. I think it should be a given when somebody says, I would like to be, please see me how I would like to be seen. I feel like we should give the, we respect people enough to give them that benefit of the doubt at the very least Mm. and so if you were to ask me hey i would like you to look at me like this now i can be like okay and then you can change your mind after you're done a performance be like hello i would like you to stop sexualizing me and i can be like okay i stop now Mm. i don't know why that is so weird for us to do or like impossible for us to do as a society but like hopefully we can get to a point where we can just be like when somebody says we no longer want to be seen like this that you stop Mm, it's so strange isn't it it's very very illogical and irrational when you put it that way but like that is that's kind of how I managed to sort of unpack some of that Mm -hmm. um and equally I don't I don't think it's your responsibility for to like manage how other people see you first of all it really is none of your business how other people see you but Mm. like that's not up to you and really the onus is on them to stop seeing you in an exploitative way Mm. nothing that you could do i think would change how somebody would see you if they if their intentions are to objectify you nothing you could do would change that i could be as squeaky clean as i possibly could be and people would still look at me like that right like you said just walking down the street and and it's 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 like you said it's it's about it's about boundaries and consent mm. and like agency and that um you know in regular life we don't always have as clear of a boundary as the stage provides i guess um yeah yeah which is unfortunate that i mean that should be it should be like you said it's very simple <laughs> yeah very I mean, simple concept and then- I also respect the fact that boundaries are not an easy thing to see, especially again, like if you're without a stage, how are you supposed to know whether you've crossed a boundary? And they mm. are fluid. They are things that like move again with the times and with how we deal with these concepts um, culturally. And so I'm fine with people changing their minds about this. I don't have any weird hangups or like feel somehow wronged or need to be defensive when somebody or like culturally something has moved in a certain direction because that's just how these things work and then there's also the question of like individuality here i'm not here talking on behalf of every single asian woman on the planet some people really don't like how i do things and why i do them and that's fine right Mm -hmm. all i ask Mm -hmm. from them is that they respect that i do what I can in a healthy way. And I respect them for not wanting to exist in that space. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so strange. That's something that used to be explained. <laughs> <sighs> Truly. Yeah. Thank you for, for everything that you just shared. 
super powerful. I think so many people can relate and they're going to take a lot away from, from this part of the conversation, from the whole conversation really. But um, yeah, I hope so. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess to, to kind of take this into like a solution. Well, I guess we kind of, kind of, I feel like we talked about what, you know, how we like, hold on. I'm like all over the place. No, it's okay. (laughs) Words are hard. Words Words are are hard hard. sometimes. (laughs) So I'd like to know what you see in terms of solutions for decolonizing sexual empowerment, which is huge, uh, a huge question, but, and we already kind of spoke a lot to this, but to kind of like round out the conversation with the topic that we've been here to discuss. I think maybe I'd want to take that one step backwards and Mm -hmm. kind of put my point in, which you may or may not agree with, which is fine, but I actually don't really care that much about sexual empowerment. Like that to me Mm. is really reductive and forces us to talk about sex work in a, in a way that is about somehow mindset or, embodiment which Hmm. i personally don't think actually matters most sex workers and strippers don't give a shit how sexually empowered they are they want access Hmm. to their rights and their money they would like access to Hmm. workers rights and justice and that is like that is way more important than any one individual person feeling sexually empowered in my opinion right Hmm. so like sexual empowerment doesn't actually come from like this embodied like physical thing that is kind of individual because that really like boils down the conversation into somewhere that puts the onus on individuals to think a certain way about themselves and feel quote unquote confident. I really don't care about any of that. Personally, I don't think Mm -hmm. it matters that much. If it works for you, fine. But like, I'm more interested in like creating an environment via policy making or policy breaking really um that allows people to get there in the first place because Mm. that cannot happen if people are precarious and vulnerable and so i think maybe in like the way where we like how do we decolonize this um on an institutional like level it would be nice to like talk about things particularly in my like for example, my university experience, which is like in London, this is like they ex- they they invented colonization. Mm. I would have really appreciated, I think, now looking back at it, um, some kind of like decoding and demystifying of some of the topics we talked about. And like I'm again, I'm really like lucky to be able to process things like reading five thousand pages worth of Lacan and Foucault. But I don't think that's accessible to everybody. Um, I think maybe one of the first things is uh, what I'm trying to do right now with a lot of the stuff that I do in terms of podcasting and seminars is make that legal jargon around the cyber law that we work around and the laws around um, prostitution and sex work accessible to people in language that they understand because if they can't access their rights because they cannot read a legal document, then that's they can't advocate for themselves. Like that's mm. the very beginning. Um, 
And then maybe on like a more individual level, I think maybe we need to hold space for people to, and I speak only for like Asian, the Asian community, because I don't know how, for example, the black community feel about this. I don't talk for them. I raise their voices. That's it. I'm not here to like speak for them. Um, But one of the things that I found really helpful is I work with, for example, a really great queer Asian collective, like a performing collective. They're called a Bitten Peach. And like pretty much everybody does a lot of performance that does play into these sort of Asian stereotypes. You know, I don't think stereotypes are necessarily a bad thing. I believe where there is smoke, there is fire. So, like, our performances have hosts who like to make jokes about eating rice, for example, or being, like, being, like, disappointment to our parents because we all studied art and we didn't go into, like, STEM degrees. But it's with our consent and it's our ability to play around with these things in a space that allows us to do this that is kind of like a healing process. Because if I'm being honest, I don't think any of us know what our conception of ourselves as Asians would look like in a vacuum outside of the white gaze. We have no idea because that's all I know. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. And I'm not actually looking for my true self outside of an objectifying gaze. That's not the point. I just need a space to be able to play around with that in a healthy way and make content for my community. And if other people also enjoy it, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then to be paid for our work and to also make it in a way that is like, um, subversive and smart and interesting and like pokes fun at it and is critical is the important part because that's how you that's how you dissect something and like turn something that was originally quite again objectifying and colonial into something that is hilarious and fruitful and wonderful and spiritually sort of um satisfying and also healing so yeah, I guess that's that's my very long-winded answer. <laughs> yes, thank you for fleshing it out. And so, I mean, it's just so fascinating to hear you talk and and the, you know, just like your your depth of knowledge and experience. I'm so grateful for you sharing it and and yeah, I think it's interesting to hear your your um approach to sexual empowerment as well. It's like also um you know how we started the conversation like one of the problems i have with the documentary is that it completely ignores the collective and yeah. only focuses on the individual individual empowerment but can it really be empowerment if it's just like if it's not doing anything for the collective and it's it, it's yeah so i totally um I, I love to hear your your how you address advocacy and um law and institutional change that needs to happen before true um empowerment can happen or like just human rights <laughs> so yeah yeah I, I guess this is sort of like I guess if someone were to if anyone who's listening to this makes it this far if you did well done you but if you made it this far I guess the most important thing to take away from this is like when you have these conversations that are sort of pseudo activists or use activist language especially around organizing around feminism or like queer rights or sexuality or sex work empowerment cannot mean you having good feelings about yourself that's not good enough you having good feelings about yourself doesn't put money in the pockets of people who need it the most it doesn't get people out of um bullshit sentences it doesn't stop them from being over policed it doesn't make their situations any better it just makes you feel good and 
I would want to, I want to avoid that. And it's not that I don't want people to feel good. I, I do. It's just that I don't really care on like an individual basis, how people feel about themselves. I care that it, that their actions are going towards voting for city council or like policy that enacts positive change or voting against Mm -hmm. things like further criminalizing sex work or xyz whatever it is their thing is it could be in terms of like environmental sustainability it could be about um like uh around like race violence it could be around um over policing and law enforcement whatever your shtick is it has nothing to do with you feeling good it is about creating an environment based off policy and votes on a systemic level that make life better for everybody and then in turn allows you to feel better about yourself mm. but that is my like my ending like my ending thing currently how i feel about that thank you thank you for for everything that you shared here i'm just so grateful to have you here to speak your truth and to give us a glimpse into the workings behind your art and and the work that you do in the world and how can we support you how can we yeah how can we support you right now um, I would maybe, if you can, just go check out, um, all the accounts that I'm sort of dealing with right now. If you are an artist and you enjoy life drawing, I run a stripper life drawing class, both in Toronto, so on EST time, if you are in North America, and also in London, if you are further ahead in time zones. And so that's on life drawing with ELSC, or, um, at Ethical Stripper. You can also look at East London Strippers collective.com that's our site um otherwise i would say i personally don't require your support like i love it it's really nice but i'm not precarious like i said i'm grifting off my parents as we speak and the canadian government i'm good i'm fine (laughs) i will i will move on it's fine i spend all my time looking at lingerie on depop because that's all i have time for these days so like i would just i'd love for people to like look at their own grassroots organizations and like see what people locally are doing and would need from you because like you can't really affect change if you're in the uk and trying to advocate for like different laws in the us that's not something you necessarily have power to affect but you can have power to affect what's going on locally in the UK with your local like grassroots organizations or the laws around licensing and sex work. So I would, I would start there, I think is more important. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm going to share and tag, um, tag those, those organizations that you mentioned um, and yourself, your own life drawing Um, Instagram account that you mentioned and I'm so grateful that you were here thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today and this um, entire conversation if you missed the beginning is going to be posted I'm going to post it on my Instagram here but it'll also become an episode of Pussy Empowered Podcast amazing Um, thank you so so much for having me yeah thanks so much for being here really appreciate you you too stay in contact we'll be doing other things probably at some point yes I shall (laughs) All right. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Bye-bye. You must be eager to learn more about Samantha Sun, so go follow her Instagram at samantha.ssun. The links to Ethical Stripper and Stripper Life Drawing Instagrams are also available in the show notes. And if you feel activated by this conversation, I invite you to share it with a friend who you think would resonate and or leave a five-star review. 
If you want to receive ongoing support on your journey of pussy empowerment, I'd be honored to share my weekly newsletter with you. It's chock full of inspiration, invitations to my monthly dance parties, and tangible takeaways. Head to the link in the show notes, sign yourself up, and let's take this relationship to the next level. See you next time. Thank you.